0: And welcome back in. Looky here. We have flipped the calendar. It is the month of June, and we're back on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. I am the somewhat rested Stanley Cup playoffs resuming again for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'll be less rested, somewhat rested, somewhat competent host of the program, TJ Reeves. He is the owner, the operator. You read him all the time on sportsmediawatch.com. It is John Lewis back here, a.k.a. Paulson. Uh, good to be back with you on another show in another month, and it means we're getting down to the nitty-gritty in the NBA and the Stanley Cup playoffs here. How are we feeling as we embark on everything for another week?
1: Uh, yeah, I guess good. You know, look, the reality is, you know, uh, Memorial Day went by pretty quickly, kind of just uh, there's, never any, there's never any break, right? You know, we at talk least, about the holidays, like it's some kind of break. It's really not. You just keep powering through.
0: At least in the sports industry, it's not going to slow down very much until we get out of these playoffs, plural, for the NBA and the NHL. And then baseball becomes the primary thing for July. Yeah, the big the thing. F word Before
1: the F word, football comes back around in August and September, right? Well, the big one in the summer is what? The big three? Summer League, you know? Or you mean, uh, the TBT. In, big in literal name only. I don't think uh, big in terms of interest. No, definitely not. But when I think of the late summer, honestly, the first thing I think of is the big three basketball, uh-huh. Yeah. Movies, golf. Um the beach. I've watched some pretty I, I love watching bad movies in in the month of uh in the month of July and August. I remember them fondly. I I love the the found footage films, you know, like Paranormal Activity. They're all very derivative. They're all the same thing, but you know, you can really uh, bang out a, a two hours just really quickly. Just watching one of those. So. One
0: of uh, while we digress, one of my goals is going to be to catch up on the HBO fun Lakers uh, based on the true story documentary series. Uh, Not documentary in the literal sense, but kind of recapping the Lakers run in winning time. I saw the pilot. I have not seen the remainder of season one. I obviously know how it ends for season one with Magic and the Lakers winning as uh, as he is a rookie with Kareem. So I may may binge into that one uh, later on in the summer. We will on this podcast bring up Top Gun Maverick. I will and bring that up to John and we'll, we'll have fun with that later on. But I I can probably see Top Gun first, right? You did say that last week on the show, and I forgave you. But (laughs) we'll we'll discuss Top Gun Maverick briefly a little bit later on in the show. Reminder, however you found us, through John's website, through a social media link, as we keep saying, follow or subscribe to the podcast here on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Make sure that you find us for all of the different shows and for this one, John. And we've got a lot of people
1: that have been finding all of the content, and we thank them for that. Yeah, no, it's always great. More The more the merrier. We've got our expanding podcast network with the George Offman podcast and the announcer schedules podcast. I did want to note I have seen one Tom Cruise movie in my life, and it was uh, it was Rain Man. The <laughs> only one I've seen. I've not seen any of the Mission Impossible. Or the- I, you know, you just keep digging the hole deeper here. Yeah, I right. We're going
0: to have to have some. You, you, this summer, you're going to have to pop in a few good men. Because right. that oh, yeah, is, I mean you have or have not
1: no have not you have, have not. got to
0: see that one
1: haven't you, seen any of the godfather if, movies if you, I
0: why, okay that's a that's okay that's well before <laughs> both of our times i think but that's okay but for cruise if you're going to watch one other one besides top gun or something like rain man in that in that wheelhouse area a few good men would be excellent too uh but again yes uh we uh, we are thrilled to be partnered up Uh, on the podcast feed here with George's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. We're going to talk about Kenny Albert. We're going to talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs coming up. Kenny Albert is the guest this week on George's podcast. On this very feed, go back to the previous podcast just before this one, and you'll get the full conversation with Kenny Albert. Uh, And, in fact, we're going to play a segment from that podcast, a brief clip from that podcast coming up a little bit later on in this show, and play off of that. And George and I – or uh, John and I are going to talk about that. George did a great job – Uh, Of uh, of getting some very interesting, fun information about Kenny Albert's career, his start, and how he met up with Eddie Olchek 38 years ago for the first time. That is incredible that the first time they met and how they met. It's right there on that podcast. And again, tip of the hat, they've debuted to uh, Phil DeMont Mullen and Mike Gill with the announcer schedules podcast. Those guys are off and rolling on the feed as well. Uh, John, I I say this here. I've said it on social media. I've said it on other interviews. Phil has got right now like the definitive Twitter handle if you want to know on the national level uh, particularly who's calling the game. Who are those voices? You run to his Twitter handle, it's there, announcer schedules to tell you. He does a great job with that. And they've got another podcast episode coming out later on in the week, John. Yeah, looking forward to it. We are as well. All right, let's dive into what we do here on the program. And one of the the, uh, areas that is right uh, down your alley, your forte is the ratings. We do know the NBA Finals now set since last we talked. Uh, The Golden State Warriors there. We we surmised that this time last week. We knew they had a commanding lead in the series. They got there. What we didn't know was who was going to be the dance partner, who was going to be the Eastern Conference team. That turns out to be the Boston Celtics in the nobody-can-win-the-game-at-home finish to the Eastern Conference Finals where the Celtics won Game 5 in Miami, only to allow the Heat to beat them in Game 6 in Boston, only to turn around and win Game 7 in Miami. Where have you gone home-court advantage? So we now know that it's Boston- against Golden State, but before we get there, the Game 7 rating in for Miami and Boston in South Florida, what do we know about that as we release the podcast?
1: Well, uh, nearly 10 million viewers, right? So 9.88 million viewers on ESPN, which in a vacuum is a really strong number. This is, you know, one of the best numbers. I mean, other than football, I'm not sure ESPN has had more viewers for anything uh, since all this madness started two years ago. Uh, So um, I think it's a great number. Is it the kind of number you typically get for a conference final game seven? No, it is not. Right. And we know that the previous conference final game sevens were 13.6 million for Cavs Celtics, 14.9 million for Warriors Rockets, and that is without aid of out of home. So obviously, this was not that. Now, it is also the case that most of the NBA conference final game sevens have involved, you know, Jordan, LeBron. Kobe, Shaq, you know, uh, even uh, and Steph in and the Warriors, right? So uh, this game did not have that. The reality is that the Celtics are getting to the finals. They're, you know, they're pretty light on stars compared to the teams of the past. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are not mainstream stars. Most people in the country, to me, a mainstream star is somebody who, you know, take, uh, you know, someone who never watched sports, doesn't know anything mm-hmm. about sports. They know who LeBron James is. They know Steph Curry. They certainly knew Kobe. And obviously they knew Michael. They don't know from Adam Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They don't know who those guys are. They didn't know Jimmy Butler either. So there was nobody on (laughs) either side of that, of that matchup who has that kind of appeal. So when you consider you're talking about two teams that do not have mainstream stars, And, you know, it's interesting to say this about the NBA, because I say it all the time about baseball and Mike Trout, that nobody knows what Mike Trout looks like. Mike Trout looks in a mirror and he's like, who is that guy? Right. So, you know, you look at a guy like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, nobody really knows who they are either. It's rare to say that about the NBA. You've got to be an NBA fan. I do think that if you had Jason Tatum walking around in a mall in Montana, which would be really weird for him to do, you know, most people might surmise that he was a basketball player because he's probably really tall, Right. but they would not have any idea who he was. And that is kind of the, you know, the difference between 10 million for a game seven and 14, 15 million for a game seven, I think. So the Celtics ultimately, they're drawing power is enough to make that number as respectable as it was. But, you know, the other thing too, it's the second least watched game seven of the conference finals in 25 years all those other game sevens had the bigger stars, but the only game seven with a smaller audience was Pistons heat. No five, which even after the past two years, I still regard the 04-05 season. as the low point for the NBA. Do you think
0: the, the Memorial day holiday, the night of the game seven, maybe had a tinge to do with it or, or more so no. it's just the stars.
1: Cause there's always a Memorial day weekend. I mean, the, the, the two in 2018 were the Sunday Memorial day weekend and then Memorial day. So uh, frankly, my expectation has been that Memorial Day will help in the out of home era the way that it did with Easter. I imagine people gather together and watch, you know, in you know, in in groups. Granted, Memorial Day is a bit different than Easter because you go out to a beach on Memorial Day, you go out and do stuff mm-hmm. uh, rather than staying at home on Easter. But you know, uh, I would imagine there's more communal viewing. So, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I think ultimately. Memorial day used to be a big day for the NBA every year, you know, from CBS on through NBC, you would get a conference final game in the afternoon on Memorial day. And they were always really good. There was always, you know, Reggie Miller with the game winner against the bulls in 98, Rick Smith's game winner against Orlando and that crazy finish in 95, mm-hmm. a Sean Elliott shot towing the sideline against Portland in 99 the, you know, uh, the Celtics nets, the great comeback was on the Saturday, but game four was another really good game in that series as well. So every year you would get really great Memorial day conference final games. And, you know, I mean, I, I, obviously we're talking about a different era of television, but I don't think NBC was ever going, wow, Memorial day is killing us. So,
0: right. It's a good point. And you, you did have on a chart, Again, it's eye-opening, and we've covered this so many different times in recent podcasts that it's just different now. The audience is fragmented every winch direction with apps and streaming services. You don't have just the four choices on TV. But when you you put the Game 7 of uh, Pacers Bulls and 30 million eyeballs next to it to watch that, that's the power of what Jordan and the NBA were in the late 1990s still, drastically different. Drastically different now in total of in terms of total audience. I hearken to this too, because you love it when I go in the way back. The one of the more famed moments in the Celtic Laker rivalry of the eighties that was not championship defining in and of itself was the Memorial Day Massacre, as it's known, where the Boston Celtics scored 148 points on Magic and the Lakers. Speaking of that winning time in the documentary, I don't know that that'll be featured very much in the winning time documentaries in the future, uh, if they do future seasons. But the Celtics with Bird and McHale and Parrish and Dennis Johnson and and company, they couldn't miss that day. They scored 148 points uh, in the game against the Lakers. The Laker fans will be the first one to tell you, though, I believe that was the 85. That was the 85 Memorial Day. The Laker fans will be the first one to tell you they won the series, yeah. ultimately, besides the Memorial Day massacre uh, on that. But to your point, they've, they've done this on Memorial Day Sunday or Monday for a long time. I still remember that, that Magic Pacers, Shaq, mm-hmm. Penny Rick Smith's, Reggie Miller Wright and and almost everybody had a key part in the end of that where there was one big shot after another big shot being made in the final minute of the game and the reason I remember it is because I was doing local sports radio in Tampa Bay and a boss who got fired who I'm not gonna drag him through the mud now on the podcast and name him but a, a boss had convinced, our upper management and had ordered me, we're doing your show on Memorial Day afternoon because the Magic Game is going on and regionally in Florida, West Central Florida, people will care. And I, I continued to say to him, no one will be listening to this show. Everyone is off. Everyone will be watching the Magic Game or will be listening on the radio. John, you're like bringing up bad memories here. I'm just joking around with you. I did that oh. show, and I swear it was me and my producer and maybe my father who lives in the market that were listening to that show because of that frantic, that tremendous finish with the yeah. Pacers and the, uh, and, the, uh, and the Orlando Magic. And that was not a game seven. It did not eliminate no. anybody that day. I just remember that from 1995.
1: Yeah, very that? memorable game, very memorable. Uh, great playoffs that year. Uh, I still haven't seen a playoffs as good as 95. But the end result was a sweep by the, uh, the Rockets. They yeah, cleaned them that was a, out. They cleaned it, it out the still magic. Still a great series. That's, great the, Kenny, series, that's so. the Kenny
0: Smith that we yeah. re- re- referenced before. Exactly. He makes the big three-pointers at the end. The Nick Anderson missed free throws, and Kenny Smith made, I believe, two, if not more, huge three-pointers and got oh, yeah. the game into overtime and, and made yeah. big shots in the overtime, too. on that all right so um another note here this is coming out as we release the podcast we don't know for sure the audience will know thursday night when they tune in but game one may not have the entire broadcast crew it is still unknown whether mike breen who has been the stalwart of the nba's play-by-play on on the nba finals and the nba playoffs uh, for the better part of 15 plus years john will have the particulars he tested positive for COVID-19, so due to ESPN's protocols, was not able to work the Game 7. May, we don't know, may not be able to work the Game 1 Warriors-Celtics. And we if you heard Jeff Van Gundy, which I did on the Game 7, he, the voice did not sound good. I'm an expert on throat infection and dealing with it myself. The voice did not sound good. Who knows what that was they may be down john a couple of announcers what are your what are your thoughts on the speculation here on what's going on for the start of the nba finals with the broadcasting
1: well this was inevitable uh you know ultimately you know how people always catch colds and flus you know all the time well that's what's going to happen with covid the whole you know that's the future now Right now, we're at the point where people are still concerned enough about the spread that you can't just go to work when that happens. But, you know, you can only imagine the level of disruption that we would have had in past years if every single time you felt you were under the weather, you were testing for the flu or, the, or a cold and you mm-hmm. tested positive, right? People do this in games all the time. So we have to expect this to be the case. Uh, I kind of had a feeling this was going to happen when Mark Jackson coughed during his stand-up during game six. Right, uh, it was an unusual thing, and you noticed it immediately because people never cough when they're introducing the game. And it's just Mark Jackson coughing on the air, stumbling through his uh, his stand-up at the beginning of Game Six. And so, you know, Green test positive a couple of days later. Van Gundy sounded really bad. Luckily, it's a really stretched-out schedule, so I imagine they're going to have these guys back at some point. Um, you know, uh, if not Sunday, I mean you know, game three isn't for another full week. Right. It's amazing. So, yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, it is what it is. This is what's going to happen. Um, you know, it's nobody's fault, really. Uh, you just go through it and hopefully everyone will be fine. But I did, I was surprised they let Van Gundy go because green testing positive and then Van Gundy sounding like that. If he, I'm mean, obviously he was testing negative, right? Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I have, I have no sources telling me that, but it's plainly obvious he was testing negative. Uh, otherwise oh, he you got you, you got
0: to, I'm, I'm guaranteeing as soon as the word was out that he had tested positive yeah. and he's been around these other guys, everybody on that crew, including probably the studio crew, because they're all around yeah. each other. The studio crew was on hand too. They all had to test negative to be able to
1: work yeah. on the ESPN policy. Absolutely. Exactly. So, you know, uh, I mean, he sounded sick. But we don't know what he felt like. He might have felt like he was in the prime of his life, right? You know, I mean, this is this is what happens sometimes. And, um, you know, maybe they could have decided just out of just out of, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, caution. Right. Caution. We're going to we're just going to have Mark Jones and Doris. Right. But, you know, the other thing, too, is they probably had Mark Kes- Ketcher and probably butchering his name just hanging Kestisher. around here. Mark Ketcher, right. Yes. He was probably around to do the game uh, to, because Mark Jones was doing radio and moved up to TV. So he was probably around to do the game, but they don't have like they can't have Hubie Brown go out there. Right. You know, so it's tough. You couldn't bring Doris up. Uh, you couldn't put Jalen Rose in there. I mean, I guess they were kind of it was easier to fill in for Breen than it would be to fill in, you know, Van Gundy and Jackson.
0: OK, so go over a couple of specifics, because, again, we don't know at the time we're releasing this what's going to happen. But
1: Mike Breen has been like the Iron Man of calling the NBA finals, right? Yeah. Ninety one straight dating back to 2006. And, you know, uh, Mark Jones is a very good broadcaster, but the downgrade from Breen was really noticeable. And, you know. I want to be clear. This is no dig at Mark Jones. If you take anyone outside of inside the NBA, it's not nearly as good. And any inside the NBA where Ernie is out and, you know, Kevin Frazier is very good at what he does. He's been doing it for a long time on entertainment tonight. And if you're old enough, you remember him on sports center. Mm -hmm. When he fills in on inside the NBA, it's not as good. When Matt Weiner fills in on inside the NBA, it's not as good. When Casey Stern, who was really good, fills in for, for Ernie and inside the NBA, it's not as good. And that's just the way it is. got to, the chemistry matters. You can't just fill in somebody and expect it to work. And so that was a really poor broadcast ESPN put on. Part of it was the Miami fans did not bring it at all. I'm not on board with trashing the Miami fans. They're, they're a popular pinata for folks, you know, dating back to the LeBron uh, years, people would just go after them. Um, I I don't think that's fair. Uh, I think, you know, this is, you know, this is the NBA. There's a lot of fan bases where Tracy McGrady's entire 13 points in 33 seconds, the arena was half empty, right? Um, You know, but that fan base in Miami didn't bring it at all. Uh, Very subdued. The heat didn't bring it at all for the first, you know, half of the game. They probably Mm -hmm you know, win if they just bring a competent level of energy. Some of that is the Celtics great defense, but they, they, you know, and then, you know, Jeff with his kind of under the weather aspect, didn't bring it. Mark Jackson needs an energized Jeff Van Gundy. Mark is all monotone, all monotone, right? He needs Jeff Van Gundy with him. You know, there's a reason why ESPN hired Jeff Van Gundy, as soon as he was fired from the Houston Rockets in 2007, because it was Breen and Mark alone for that entire 06, 07 season. And Mark has very limited charisma. He's got to have somebody there with that energy. So if Jeff doesn't have the energy, Mark, isn't going to bring it right. And Mark Jones is very good, but Mark Jones doesn't have the chemistry with those two that Mike Green has. Uh, And, you know, the other thing with Mark Jones and I'm, you know, Mark is a great, Broadcaster. He's been around for a lot longer than people realize. He is 60 years old. I don't Mm -hmm. think anyone would believe that. He was the oldest person in that group. He's older than Jeff and he's older than Mark, uh, Mark Jackson. Uh, So, you know, he's been around 30 years at ESPN. He and Doris are two of the longest tenured ESPN employees. Well, I remember watching Mark Jackson when he
0: was doing the NBA daily show back right. 30 years ago in the early nineties, when he was Mark about Jones, old, of course. Well, Mark Jones, excuse me, right. when Mark Jones was doing, was it, was it NBA? I want to say it was like NBA hang time or something they called it, or in, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it was like a well, daily show. And it right. wasn't even, I don't think five days a week, mm-hmm. but that's where I got the first taste of, of watching him do what he does.
1: Yeah, NBA Tonight maybe, with the two being the number two for ESPN2. This is
0: even before ESPN2. They had like a daily show on ESPN that wasn't even five days a week. It was sometimes like recapping the weekend highlights on a Tuesday. I'm serious, because remember, not every game was on TV everywhere. It was interesting, and he was doing that that long ago. I didn't know he was 60, but that that gives you an idea of – how long he's been around to your point. So we'll see what they put together. And you make a good point that as the finals drag on to a third and a fourth game, they probably get the full crew back. Um, And those are voices that you're used to hearing. That's for sure. On, on all these different networks, you're used to tuning in. For example, it's going to be very weird to tune into a Fox NFL game and not hear Joe Buck and Troy Aikman to your point, no matter who else is there in place of them.
1: Right. Well, you know, if Mark does game one of the finals tomorrow night and you know, you never know, maybe he got sick. Right. So then you got to bring in Dave Pash and Dave would be good. Right. You know, I mean, but like now we're, you know, who knows, but if, if Mark does do game, game, one of the finals tomorrow night, he's a great broadcaster and he's, he's earned everything he's ever gotten. I just feel like the, the catchphrases are sometimes a little bit much, like, they're really good in the right moment, like on the lebron to game, uh, LeBron against the Raptors a few years ago. <laughs> but, you know, I feel sometimes like he's trying a little bit too hard at times. Now, far be it for me to, 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 to critique his work. But it does feel like he's trying a little too hard at times. And he's, you know, for the, for the that may work for the regular season. But for the finals, you kind of don't need to do that. Right. So I do hope that uh, because I mean, what was it? He started the like he started the game the other night with some statement. I don't remember what it was, but it was just kind of like maybe a little bit close to that Grantland Rice, you know, that G-Wiz school. You ever heard of that? The Mm G-Wiz School of, of Journalism? It's a little bit close to that. Like, you know, it's and of course, the vocabulary. Mark is a great vocabulary, but it's like I'll tell you one thing I've learned in all my years in academia. It's academics don't know how to talk to people. They never have. They overload every single thing that they do with completely unaccessible language that is designed to, you know, basically prevent anyone from understanding what they're saying. Uh, so I, often I say
0: 27 words when 10 will do. That's, exactly. that's it. Well, T- 270, words.
1: 270 words when yeah, T- 10 will do. Exactly. And, you know, by the
0: way, I did look it up while we're talking. Uh, Mark Jones's show was NBA Today. I am confusing it with the one that was on NBC. That was, I right. think, a weekend show NBA hang time around it was that NBA, time, showtime. NBA, NBA showtime. NBA Showtime. Wasn't there an NBA hang time somewhere? There Where was, am I getting that from? So it's in NBA the hang of my, time.
1: Yeah. There was an NBA Hangtime on ABC in, I think, 04, 05. They went okay. through 400 different names for their okay. studio. Right. It was NBA shoot Around, then NBA Game Time, <laughs> NBA Hangtime, NBA <laughs> Nation. Okay. okay, but there That's was I'm also- getting at.
0: But there was sh- NBA well, Showtime was the right. NBC early 90s, yeah. around the same time Mark Jones was doing right. NBA Today. And I'm serious. I would watch the NBA Today show – that would come on and they are seriously showing let's go back to last Thursday night. Let's go back to last Thursday night. There's no internet. Let's go back to last Thursday night and watch Larry Bird in Cleveland against the Cavaliers. That would be on that show.
1: Yeah. just pointing. That out. Uh, oh, I did want to add there was a TNBC show that is teen NBC on Saturday mornings called hang time. I'm pretty sure Dick Butkus was in it. Uh, Reggie Theus would have been one of the coaches as well oh on that show. Uh, There was also the show City Guys. Those of you out there who remember City Guys that they used to hear Uh, on TNBC in the 90s. That was the block they would show Saved by the Bell in, including Saved by the Bell, the new class. And the late Dustin Diamond stayed to the very end of that show. But I digress. You are really in the weeds now with all the programming in the
0: 90s. I love that. So we'll see what happens on the NBA Finals. Uh, and the coverage there. By the way, just give me a quick prediction. Will there there be an uptick for all the reasons we mentioned because Golden State is there? What is your educated prediction?
1: Well, one, I would say, yeah, Golden State is there, but Boston has played in five of the seven most watched games this playoffs. That's partially Mm -hmm. because the Celtics have struggled to get through these series, these five, you know, seven game series, but the Warriors are not the biggest draw entering the finals right now, but the Celtics have played in five of the top seven games. So It's obviously the dream matchup, the exact thing the NBA wants to have. Here's the simple reality. This is not 2018. Now, I don't know if out of home will get the finals to 2018 levels, but this is not 2018. Uh, You're not going to get, I don't think, a Cavs Warriors level audience. Now, if this series goes seven, it might surpass 2018, which went four. But on a game-by-game basis, I don't expect this to be at 2018 levels. Certainly not 2017 or 16 or 15. On a game-by-game basis, um, my question is: Does it beat Warriors Raptors? Well, everyone would say, "Well, of course, of course, it's going to beat Warriors Raptors." It's Warriors Celtics, and I do agree that that is the, the you know certainly more likely than not. But you know, I'm not saying there's red flags with the NBA's numbers, but it's just. I'll put it this way. We've not had a real conversation just generally about NBA ratings. We've had a lot of BS, for lack of a better word. Uh, There was the Clay Travis BS, which was, let's go take a look at these NBA numbers from a fanless bubble in October and decide that that's what the NBA's true uh, popularity is, right? That's the whole outkick uh, nonsense, right? Um, And of course, there was no accuracy to that at all. But now that the numbers are up and you're saying, oh, wow, highest in three, highest in four years, well, yeah, because those previous years were in a fanless bubble in times of, you know, or even if not in a fanless bubble with reduced capacity in times of year that are not typical. I don't necessarily know that the NBA isn't in the exact same position it was in in 2019, which is, it's not as big a draw as it was, right? 2019 was kind of a soft year The viewership wasn't really that impressive. The finals was the lowest in years. And I don't think anything has actually changed, even after all of this craziness that's gone on since. I think the NBA is pretty much in the exact same position now that it was then. The only thing that I would say is different is they're not as dependent on the Warriors, which is a really good thing. Again, I think it's wild. The Celtics have been in five of the top seven games, not Golden State. That, that, that tells you that at the very least, the NBA has another draw beyond the Warriors. Which but what it also
0: game. speaks to is Boston is a massive market. There's hate factor in New York and Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., which are massive markets. Los Angeles. again, Well, Los Angeles, too. But in the Northeast mm. in particular, there's massive hate market for the Celtics and maybe some in L.A. But in L.A., how much do they hate Golden State now? I still go back to 2016 while we digress one more time, and I promise we're moving on to hockey on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast in a second. Uh, my family, my wife, and the twins and I, we went to Disneyland, hello, for the 60th anniversary of Disney. Disneyland 2016 during that Warriors Cavaliers final at that point obviously LeBron is in Cleveland not in LA Uh, Kobe helped me had retired from the Lakers in 16 so they had had an awful season we're we're in Southern California for three days I did not see a Lakers anything anywhere during that finals going on I mean not only not on somebody not a shirt not a hat there's nothing in any of the stores there's Warrior stuff, John, everywhere yep. in Anaheim, in Los Angeles. There were Warrior hats, Warrior shirts, people wearing Steph Curry, Clay Thomas, or Clay Thompson. Um, war, old school Rick Barry, old school whatever. There was Golden State Warrior stuff everywhere for those four days while the finals were going on. So I don't know how much L.A. now that they've won a title, the Lakers are back to an extent. Blah blah. blah. I know they didn't make the playoffs this year. Right. Do they hate? Golden State now in, in uh, L.A., and Anaheim, I don't know. Is the hate for the Celtics going to be big? Is L.A. going to tune in? I don't know those yeah. answers. I really don't yeah. know in
1: the present. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, look, uh, again, like I said, we just have not had a real conversation about where the NBA stands. We've had all of this obfuscation, all of this kind of culture war nonsense that ultimately I don't think much has changed at all. Is the NBA in a bad situation? Far from it. The NBA just standing pat from 2019 because the rest of TV has completely collapsed is actually in much better shape than it was. But, you know, it has, I mean, there was a drop in popularity from 18 to 19 that I think was real. And that, you know, uh, I, at the time I thought, well, the Warriors are too dominant. That's the issue. Ultimately, that's not the case anymore, even now. But it hasn't really changed. I think, you know, LeBron going to LA, Durant going to Brooklyn was just, I think maybe, a, maybe one of those things that just made it all seem a little bit too contrived. And even though you have two homegrown teams there now, you know, I just think there were people who kind of just all the NBA's little internal drama, all the, all the stuff on Reddit and Twitter, it was just like, eh, you know, a lot of folks don't have time for that. They just want the game. Now that's just my speculation, right? Maybe I'm projecting even my own feelings, but uh, I I do feel like I'll be surprised if this year's finals on a game by game basis is comparable to 2018, certainly 17, 16, 15, Uh, probably will outdo 14, which was, you know, the Spurs and five. But, you know, uh, as long as it's dramatically better than the last two years, it's a win because ultimately all that culture war stuff is really what most people are engaging with anyway. So save big on
2: brunch for mom all in the Kroger app.
0: All right. Well, we'll see what happens with the finals. We will switch over to hockey now. And the Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals are set. In fact, at the time that George and I are releasing the podcast, the Western final, which was an incredible shootout in game number one of goal after goal after goal. Almost like, what was your line to me? Uh, John and I were on the phone uh, off the air, and I kept telling you during our 20-minute phone call, Colorado just scored again, Colorado yeah. just scored again, and you said, what, is the All-Star Game? What was, that was yeah. your line, right? As yeah, the, the All-Star, All-Star Game broke up yeah. in, exactly. uh, in the Colorado-Edmonton game. So the, the league got the, – the again, the NHL is not going to put out a press release. They're not going to announce this, but the league got what they wanted. They got yeah. a Canadian team in the West Final. They got a New York team in the East Final to play the two-time champion, Champa Bay Lightning, coming up with Game 1. All right, so we don't have the ratings in. It's been delayed off the weekend for the Game 7 win by the Rangers over the the Panthers, but it's probably somewhere around a million, something like yeah. that, a million and a half. That's that's what the games have been drawing. Oh, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts here as they've gotten into the conference finals for the NHL?
1: Well, that Game 7 was probably 3-4 million, you know. I mean, you it, really you think know. so? Oh, Quite absolutely. High? All right. Yeah, I mean, cuz The game seven in the first round was what two million, and that was opposite a game seven in the NBA. No NBA Mm -hmm. competition, plus what I but I believe would be greater communal viewing on a holiday. Uh, Plus, you know, it's the Rangers. It's it's greater stakes. It's the second round, and of course, those first round games were non-exclusive. As well. So I definitely think uh, that'll be three, 4 million. Um, I think, you know, the NHL didn't necessarily get what it wants in terms of Canadian team. They got what it wants in terms of McDavid. They don't just want any Canadian team. They wouldn't have wanted Calgary in there. If Calgary had gotten in there, it would have been, would have been a disaster. Right. Mm. Um, so they want Edmonton because of McDavid or certainly Toronto because of, uh, you know, that other guy, Austin, Austin
0: Matthews, right? Matthews. Correct.
1: Uh, and so to me, in a high-scoring series, uh, TNT, for whatever reason, the NHL has set it up that ESPN gets its top pick of the conference final every year. So TNT will be getting the Western Conference Finals every single season, basically, <laughs> uh, unless the Blackhawks get good again. Well, and you know, so you
0: and I know what the truth is. They paid more for that. That's, yeah. that's how they got that. They paid more for it, and they're airing more for it in the regular season and the ESPN Plus component. That's how yeah. they got that, that choice. Yeah, I'm kind, but, I'm you kind know, of surprised. I'm kind of surprised that Turner didn't stand up more to that. But Turner is getting, as you pointed out last week, you mentioned they're getting a cup final every other year, so they they yeah. settled for that. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it's more In than the intent- they get from the NBA to get the cup final. And you know, the cup final, I mean, we're talking about it's not going to be a massive draw by other standards. But if you're getting you know four, five, six million viewers, if it's a really good matchup, even just three, four million, I mean. What what else is TNT earring that gets that kind of number? Snowpiercer, that weird show with the uh, the animal kingdom that no one's ever seen but somehow right. has lasted all these seasons. Right. Claws. With all due respect to Niecy Nash, nobody's watching that. Right. You know. Reruns anyway. of
0: movies.
1: Exactly. Reruns Law of The Big order, Bang Theory. Castle. Law and order.
0: Yeah. I don't. I don't think that's getting the same number, especially in June or July. If that's the case. Um, all right, I want a little critique from you because I love this, and i want to I want to play part of it though, too. Kenny Albert and Eddie Olczyk really growing on me. I, I know Sean McDonough and Ray Ferraro will have the ESPN a call of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, uh, Albert and Olczyk did my uh, my Champa Bay Lightning against the Florida Panthers in that series for the four game sweep. we We knew they worked together last year for NBC, and again, the Lightning won the whole thing. Uh, winning the final that year over Montreal last uh, last July when they won it. Um, so we know they've worked together. They're growing on me. And old chick again, I continue to tout this on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast, he may be the most underrated analyst in any sport. I keep saying that. I learn something from him all the time. He's observant all the time on things behind the play that the TV doesn't show. And he pops right in, this is why it happened, or this is what the call is going to be, or... This is, uh, I mean, a perfect example. He was going over the offside rule on a controversial moment in Tuesday night's game one of Colorado and uh, Edmonton. And he was right with his analysis. And it turns out the Toronto replay room, I don't know if Mr. Magoo, there's a reference for you, John Lewis, was trying to review the replay. But Olchik was all over it right away saying this has got to be no goal. And here's why. I, again, I, I am maybe biased here at this point on liking them too much. So give me a critique from you on those guys together.
1: Well, I mean, obviously, you know, Olchik has, I mentioned, Jeff Van Gundy's called every NBA Finals game since 07. So as Eddie Olchik with the Stanley Cup, I believe, I mean, maybe there was one or two years where he took off a game for the Belmont, which is right, still right. so odd that he's into horse racing so much, but uh, I mean, he's been there for a long time. The continuity is great. They have a good rapport. Honestly, there's a part of me that wonders if Kenny Albert isn't ahead of Doc Emmerich, right? And it seems like sacrilege, right? But the thing about Doc- It's,
0: sacri- it's sacrilege to me because nobody's touching that guy ever. So right. I don't know how he's ahead of him. He maybe is well, good at this stage, but well, Emmerich I guess what was I mean. always good. 25 right. years ago, he was always good.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's not—it's certainly out a diss of Doc Emmerich. He's, he's great. Uh, but to me, sometimes it felt a little bit like- Doc was maybe taking over the game a little bit,
0: right? Oh, Cause I no talked doubt. before there's about no doubt. There's no yeah. doubt that they were turning him loose to call the game. And then when there was a gap, that's when Olchick would jump in or a stoppage and play. He right. was essentially doing radio on TV to yeah. your point, Emmerich.
1: Yeah. And I mentioned before, like Mark Jones, kind of sometimes the stylistic touches were a little bit like you're kind of overshadowing the game a little bit. And it was a little bit of that with Doc Emmerich now, Everybody loves Doc Emory, but I actually think I prefer it with an admittedly small sample size. And I don't even have Turner. I was only able to watch 10 minutes of the game using the watch TNT app (laughs) free preview yesterday. Uh, But, you know, with, with an admittedly small sample size, I find that Kenny Albert gives you the same level of quality on the big calls without necessarily being the primary thing you notice. And so from that perspective, I might put Kenny ahead, uh, you know, and I, I think he does work better with Olchek than Doc did because Eddie had, you know, between Doc and Pierre Maguire, when was Eddie Olchek getting a word in edgewise? So I actually think it works out a little bit better. And of course, you know, hockey fans had this unbelievable hatred of Pierre McGuire and Mike Milbury. Like you, they were in pain from those shoes. It was like Mm -hmm. when they, when they were gone, it was like this great, glorious thing for them. I don't feel as strongly about either of them to be completely honest, but, you know, I do think that Albert and Nolchik are better with Keith Jones being that third person than they were with Pierre being that third person and
0: and Keith Jones obviously has earned his stripes having been in the studio previously for NBC Mm -hmm. but he's also a former Stanley Cup winning player Mm -hmm. as well for the Colorado Avalanche so there's credibility there too there's humor I just I can't go along with Kenny Albert being ahead of Doc Emmerich you got your opinion he's the all-time standard on
1: that I understand, it's a controversial opinion. You know, uh, Keith Jones has always reminded me of Steve Snapper Jones, right? In terms of kind of being that underrated analyst who is whenever he's there, he makes the broadcast better but he's not a star and nobody really writes about him or talks about him, but he's indispensable, right? Steve Snapper Jones was there all 12 years for NBC. And just kind of the utility player mm-hmm. who does kind of the dirty work, right? The Like the role player who is out there making the team as good as it can be, but you don't notice necessarily how important they are. Uh, and I would say Keith Jones reminds me a bit of a uh, Snapper Jones in that way.
0: Top quiz on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. The audience can play along right here. Does John Lewis know who gave Steve Jones, the basketball player, the nickname
1: Snapper? Who gave him snapper? Do you know? Actually, I don't. I'm going to say Bill Walton.
0: Bill Walton is a good guess. You got the right network with NBC. Costas. It's not Albert. It's Bob Costas. When he was doing the ABA games, he nicknamed him snapper. For whatever reason, my understanding is Costas called him snapper first, or it heard him being called snapper and started putting it on the radio calls. The snapper thing came from Costas illuminating. That is my understanding. If I'm wrong about that, send me the hate mail on social media, but I believe I have that pegged 1,000% on that. Okay, speaking of Kenny Albert, again, he is featured on George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast. We're going to play a clip of this right now because it's fascinating. It is fascinating. John, John, I want your comment off of this. This is how Kenny Albert – and Eddie Olchek met for the first time from George's podcast. Here's Kenny Albert in his own words on how they met and the circumstances from the early eighties. Ten years with Eddie. Who's one of my favorite analysts uh, that I've ever worked
2: with. I've worked with over 250 color analysts in the various sports. And I do keep a list and, and many of them I've only worked one game with and a number of them I've worked for over 10 years. So it really runs the gamut, but, uh, Eddie's one of my favorite people. Uh, watched him during his playing career. Uh, have had the great fortune to work with him now for a number of years. Here's Strollman across the line for Kopp. Jadre Gullard, in front. The Rangers come right back
1: and tie the game at two. A save at one end right there by Igor Shosturkin. And then the play from Keandre Miller off of the skate, it looks like,
2: a Mike Matheson. A story that you you didn't know about Eddie, it it involves me as well. (laughs) When I was growing up on Long Island, I was a huge hockey fan. I played hockey. I wanted to broadcast hockey. And in 1984, uh, when Eddie was 17 years old and played on the U.S. Olympic team, um, I was a big autograph collector back then as a kid. And for some reason... I decided to write a letter to one of the players on the U.S. Olympic team in, in late 1983, early 84, and somehow I picked Eddie Olchek. And he wrote back, and I still have the autographed picture. I was 16, Eddie was 17, and in 1984, he actually sent me an autographed picture from the 1984 uh, U.S. Olympic team. And then, uh, what, 30, 37 years later, we wind up broadcasting the Stanley Cup final together. Do you realize how much that would fetch on eBay? Uh, You know what? It's one of my most prized possessions. You know, yeah. right? So I'm not, sure, I'm not sure I'm giving it up. That day, yeah. But uh, I'm sure it would.
0: How about that? I mean, the fact that he's a 16-year-old, as he describes, and he writes to the 84 Olympic hockey team, and wrote Eddie Olczyk asking for an autograph because he was an autograph collector. And Olczyk not only wrote him back but sent him an autograph picture. And Kenny Albert still has both of those from 1984. And here they are, 38 years later, working the Stanley Cup final together. There are stories, my friend, and then there are stories. Kudos to George hey. for getting that story. That's tremendous. I'd never heard that.
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, that is kind of amazing. I didn't realize there was that big of an age gap between them either. Uh, but it is it is a, a great fun story.
0: Yeah, no doubt that uh, they are great together. I love the line coming off of Tuesday night because you didn't hear this. They put up on the graphic when Colorado finished off the win eight to six. Edmonton had come back down seven to three. Had come back and gotten to win in seven to six. The game finishes 8-6. to They put up the graphic. This is the most points in a Game 1 of any Eastern Conference or Western Conference final since Edmonton and Chicago 1985. They put the graphic up. That was 15 goals in a game. Eddie Olchek deadpans immediately without hesitating. Oh, yeah, I remember that night because he was on the wrong side with Chicago. He goes, hey, Gretz for Gretzky. He's just saying this, not for Gretzky to answer. He goes, Gretz, I think you had six or seven points, meaning goals or assists in that game. He goes, I do know I was minus four, meaning he was on the goal on the ice for four goals allowed more than they scored goals when he was on the ice. A great self-deprecating deadpan moment where he said, hey, Gretz, you had six or seven points. I was minus four that night. For Oilers 10, you're always quoting scores to me, Blackhawks 5. That's the last time a a conference final game one had 15 goals in a game last night as we're taping this and releasing it, had 14 goals in game one. John, the first four games of Lightning Rangers may not have 14 goals in those games with those goalies. That was incredible, and it's going to be completely different, we believe, for the Eastern Conference playoffs.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the ratings.
0: We'll see what happens on uh, on that. Okay, so I, I think we have covered the NBA. We've covered the NHL. Let's get into a couple of more things and do it right here. Love it or leave it. All right, love it or leave it. It was a fantastic finish of the Indy 500, which we touched on last week uh nbc has not released at the time of the podcast taping here the final official numbers although they cryptically said in a little promo tweet on the indy 500 that it it remained in line with the previous two indy 500s which you immediately took to mean didn't do great in terms of ratings not great
1: what, what i would say is you know anytime you're you know I mean, you know, there's a lot of spin in this industry, right? That's basically all it comes down to uh, is, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that, spin. Now, who knows? I mean, the problem for NBC is that they don't have the data at all. So they're projecting based on the fast nationals that they do have. Uh, You mentioned uh, Mr. Magoo earlier, and I would point out that uh, Nielsen might as well be leslie nielsen right now because oh, they are bumbling nice. and stumbling all over the place frank yeah. drebin if you will from the naked well, of Gun. Course. yes yes he did a lot of movies uh he did 2001 a space travesty did you ever see that one the spoof movies you're talking about yeah of course I got, a good, I got hey facts. i
0: got an ace in my pocket on leslie nielsen that i'm okay. gonna get you with whenever you're ready here are let's you ready now yeah Leslie Nielsen played a role in the Poseidon Adventure, the yeah. original one. Do you know the role? I don't know
1: the role, but I've seen a little bit of that. He's it the
0: captain well. of the Poseidon. He Captain, playing a serious role and they have yeah. the accident and the ship flips over and the whole bit.
1: Well, he-, he did a lot of serious. He did only serious movies right. until Airplane. That was the reason why it was such effective casting, right? Yes. You bring in an actor who's known for making serious roles and he plays it completely straight. Now, every other movie that Leslie Nielsen ever did in the 90s, maybe even including Naked Gun, but he was still really strong in Naked Gun, but they were all playing it for laughs to the max, like playing to the back of the room. Exactly. The reason why he was so good on Airplane, the reason why Airplane was so good was because everyone played it completely straight. And nobody knows how to do that anymore. Everything is, you know, a kick in the groin and then a funny face. And it's so, I mean, well, spoof movies don't even exist anymore right they don't even do them but back you know back toward the end when things were getting really dire and the wayans brothers were doing you know but you know what let me not let me not criticize the wayans brothers because the first couple of scary movies were not that bad <laughs> but
0: anyway relative to what it became exactly. how did we get exactly. down this rabbit hole off of bad tv ratings because you brought up the name right. nielsen and then you, you brought up leslie exactly. nielsen now tie it back into the indy
1: 500 please before we move on and love it away. Right. so the point being that nielsen uh, doesn't have the numbers out you have the holiday weekend so already the numbers are delayed normally off of a weekend the numbers come out on tuesday So if you have an event on Sunday, that means all of Monday, you don't have any information to put in a press release. On a holiday weekend, that's Monday and Tuesday. So your hand is kind of forced because by Wednesday, who even remembers that this event happened? You had a good rating story. You want to tell it. So you use the fast national number. Before out-of-home, the Fast National was basically the same as the final national. It wasn't a big deal. You could go with it. But in the era of out-of-home, if you report the Fast National, you are actually portraying a lower rating to the public or a, a smaller audience to the public than you actually got. So nobody puts out the Fast National. They want to wait. And you've been exactly. explaining that. You want to wait. So it to come in. what what NBC has been doing is they're projecting. They take the Fast National and then they, based on what the out-of-home audience would typically be, project What that number will be. Uh, So they say very vaguely, well, it's expected to surpass 5 million viewers. So that's really all they can say. Now, is that really that impressive in the era of out of home? No, not really. Uh, Given that, you know, I mean, ultimately, why should the viewership have declined from last year? Given, I mean, I know uh, Helio Castroneves won last year. He's probably one of the biggest names they've got, but, Mm -hmm. you know, there was less competition. Uh, You know, I I don't necessarily think it's the most impressive stat ever. Uh, five million viewers, three, three, uh, three out of four years. you know That's kind of what the Indy 500 should be doing. Under five million for the Indy 500 is a, not, not a very good number. Well,
0: and again, the drivers at the end here were not huge names. The Swede that won is a former F1 driver. I believe it's Mangus Erickson. I think it's, yeah. it's Mangus is the first name. He's not a household name. I mean, the days of this event having... A.J. Foyd, I'm going way back, and Rick Mears and uh, Al Unser and those names, and then you even start to move forward to to some of the more prominent names uh, over the last 20 or 30 years, uh, whether that is Elio Castroneves or um, or some of the others that, that repeatedly did well in this race. Those names have gone on. It, the sports gets older, the, the drivers get younger, and – It becomes new names. And so when you've got a guy from Sweden battling a guy from Japan battling a guy from Brazil and not everybody knows those names, it's not the same draw on the spectacle. I still love the finish. I was watching it with my 14-year-olds. He had to hold everybody off. And, And what was interesting, a colleague of mine brought this up that's not even a racing guy. If you watch the finish to the race they were so conscious of of Ericsson being out in front but not being drafted racing term where the drivers are right behind him aerodynamically and benefiting from cleaner um uh air less air resistance and then can slingshot around you and beat you at the very end so what it it, it strategy wise meant was Ericsson's driving all over the track all almost uh, like a wild man driving all over the track, zigzagging at 200 miles an hour, by the way, so they couldn't draft behind him, John. So it was a crazy final two laps where the whole field is zigzagging like a snake down the fairway, or down, the, I'm sorry, down the straightaway uh, on the back stretch and the front stretch so that Erickson could keep anybody from catching him. But he gets the famous win, gets to drink the milk, gets to kiss the bricks, his world changes forever that he's won at Indianapolis from here on, like we like to talk about. That's the lead in his racing bio. Forever, Indy yeah. 500 winner is the lead.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was there. Uh, yes, probably you know bigger name than anyone in IndyCar and uh, crashed to at the yes. end of the race. So, uh, you know, uh, Danica is long gone. Uh, she's in the booth. They need another Danica Patrick. Right?
0: I thought she was solid on the on the broadcast coverage. I'm not sure that the other two drivers that were with Lee Diffy. Added more than what she could have added when they came to her in their studio with Mike Tarico and Earnhardt Jr. And again, I'm not big on the NASCAR guys that have never driven IndyCar, giving me much of anything, but Earnhardt Jr. is there because they have NASCAR on NBC. Right. I get that. She was really good though on talking about this is what the tires are doing at this time of the race and how you have to account for that. She's talking about you have to be. Um, forthcoming with your crew, you have to be proactive on this is what the car is doing or not doing because you get this late in the race, and mm-hmm. one little mistake on them adjusting something or not is the end of your chances. I thought she was really good, just yeah. while I put that out there
1: here on the podcast. well. You know, the problem is if she were to be in the booth for the NF 500, he might be able to, he might have to be in the booth at Mid Ohio and Laguna Seca, and you know, all the <laughs> other races that nobody's really caring about. And she probably only wants to do that one race
0: maybe all right we move on here's another subject love it or leave it mentioned back at the beginning top gun maverick is out a smashing success from a revenue and box office standpoint i'm not going to reveal any spoilers but i went i loved it wife and twins we were all there uh for that um again america apparently loved this thing um John, I'll just say uh, I think it's a good thing, at least for now, however long it lasts, and hope it, hopefully it lasts, that we're back to in-person in the movie theater, etc. Yeah. That was a good thing. It was a neat touch that Tom Cruise comes on at the beginning of Top Gun Maverick as Tom Cruise. They dim the lights, and he says, hello, I'm Tom Cruise. Thank you for coming and enjoying this in the theater as we had intended. We hope you enjoy this presentation we worked very hard to keep it authentic and to continue the story thank you and the lights dim again mm. i thought all that was a nice touch so i'm gonna put a love it out there for top gun maverick even though you've never seen the first one
1: yeah uh, so, i mean that's pretty interesting the uh, message at the start kind of old school right uh you know and uh I've, I've read the reviews people seem to really love it um it's is it my scene it's not really it's not really my scene you know uh uh, so, yeah, to me, uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, wh- wh- what can I say? I've never seen it. I have no intention of seeing it, uh, you know, 80s I, I, blasphemy going on right now
0: on the sportsmediawatch.com. The podcast. only 80s okay. movies
1: that the only 80s movies you ever need to see are The Shining and then Trading Places, uh, and uh, the Beverly Hills Watch Cop. It, one because Caddyshack's in the 80s. And I've so not seen Ferris, it actually.
0: So is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, so is Top one. Gun, so is The Breakfast Club. I could go on Never and seen on. I not that one
1: either. I, I don't do John Hughes movies, you know, anything with. Oh. Forgive with Molly Ringwald, even the first season of the facts of life. I just disavow Christmas, vacation, vacation, Christmas, vacation. Uh, Well, vacation.
0: Yes, absolutely. Vacation. One of my all time favorites in the eighties. All right. One more. We've got one more. Love it or leave it. One more thing that we have that is going on as we, as we wind things down, we've got the basketball ending. We've got the hockey ending. Hey, the USFL is even ending, but I don't know if anybody's still watching that at this point. Uh, For spring football, we do have the baseball uh, that is transpiring right now. And then there's some other sports that you can kind of get into uh, this time of year, too, whether it's the golf. You've got major championships like the U.S. Open and the Open Championship that's coming up. We mentioned the Indy 500. Uh, you know, sometimes you would have the triple crown in play for horse racing, love it or leave it. Some of the other non big four sports, John, do you have a favorite one or one that comes to mind for June, July, and even early August viewing before we get to football?
1: We do have to kind of reacclimate ourselves, don't we? Uh, there will be no meaningful NBA games in the month of July for the first time in three years. Right. Right. I got the finals last year and the restart two years ago, uh, uh, and so, you know, same thing with hockey where hockey went into July last year was ramping up in July, two years ago, we haven't had a really that dead of summer in three years, and, you know, uh, really, if you've been writing about sports, uh, if you've been following the industry for a living or anything like that, it's been nonstop since 20, you had those horrible four months where nothing was going on. And then nonstop, like literally the, there has not been a slow month. Uh, I mean, those months where there's nothing going on, you had two Olympics in a year. So, um, you know, for me, probably my favorite summer event is actually probably the NBA Summer League, which I think I actually prefer to the regular NBA. I'm not even sure. I think I might prefer the Summer League because there's just something about it. It's kind of laid back. It's just the basketball, all the loud mouths aren't paying attention. Uh, you know, the people who have uh, used their platform to drain all the enjoyment out of the NBA, uh, they're not paying attention to it. Uh, summer league, I'd say probably I enjoy, uh, really summer basketball, WNBA, uh, big three, the TBT, uh, I've always enjoyed those. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, baseball in the summer is a tough sell for me because it's just a little bit too long with no stakes. Baseball in October is great. Uh, baseball in the summer is a little bit tougher. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not really even sure what else is on in the summer. I'll just give America. you a quick
0: hot take. Summer league, absolutely worthless. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Worth. The players that aren't going to be playing, as you know, coaches yeah. that don't even coach their summer league team, the assistance mm-hmm. coach, and they don't work on anything that the team's going to work on coming up. I figured this out years ago and said, yeah. why does anyone care? This is like because pick up, pick up basketball with NBA exactly. jerseys on.
1: That's, that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for any of this overly dramatic nonsense, all this, you know, insanity <laughs> with legacies and rings, right. culture. All, I mean, I got into the NBA because I enjoyed watching people play basketball. I didn't come into the NBA so I could hear Stephen A. Smith's voice echoing through all of eternity about whatever happened in the game the previous night, you know, I have I, said this before and I'll say it again, it's as someone who just enjoys basketball, man, ESPN getting the NBA was the worst thing that could have happened to the league. Oh my goodness. They have over dramatized over just 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 piled everything to the brim with narratives and made. I I truly believe that ESPN has made the NBA a less enjoyable product to follow. Uh, And so the Summer League, you know, there really isn't that problem. It's just the basketball. It's just kind of laid back. Who in the world is watching sports to get their blood pressure raised as opposed to just watching sports to relax? And to me, Summer League is uh, it fits that bill.
0: We will leave it there on that for love it or leave it. John, always enjoy the insight. Thank you for that. Uh, here on the podcast, have another good week. And uh, we will catch up with you again soon as we'll be deep into the NBA finals. And uh, and we will, we will be closer to the Stanley Cup finals as well here as June yeah. unfolds. Thank you Thanks as always, help. sir. Anything else? Uh, no, I think we're good. I think we are good. My thanks also uh, here to our colleagues. Again, George Offman with the uh, podcast Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Go back to the previous one just before this and hear the full interview with Kenny Albert. Uh, We played... Uh, A clip of that he tells some great stories about how he got into the business and some of the relationships uh, even even with his father um, etc and how some of the other doors have opened up is there a Chicago curse involving Kenny Albert? that is also touched on on George's podcast and our buddies uh, Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mullen are on announcer schedule the podcast love their insight that's part of this sportsmediawatch.com podcast feed as well as this podcast also. So follow us or subscribe on Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get those. Rate and review us, too. That will help others find it. Take 90 seconds on Apple Podcasts. Give us a quick review on uh, how much you love all these different shows. Give us five stars. Hit the send button. That will help more discover us uh, as well. For now, we are good on this edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I'm TJ Reeves For John Lewis, keep reading his site, SportsMediaWatch.com. Bye.